Welcome to the DHF Podcast. My name is Scott McNay. I'm the pastor at La Plata Christian Church here in La Plata, Missouri, and am also a board member on the DHF board. And uh, with us today, uh, our other co-host is Rick Grace. Scott, good to be with you. This is something you and I have talked about for a while, uh, along with Sam Sears. And I'm excited about this. As uh, Scott said, my name is Rick Grace. And I have the privilege to serve as the uh, Disciple Heritage Fellowship or DHF Church Liaison. Great role to fill. Nobody exactly knows what my just job description is, so I get a, get a freelance along the way. Here in uh, our initial podcast, uh, we are, I'm thrilled today to welcome a good friend of mine. Uh, Doug, you and I have known each other since the mid-80s. Yeah, long before the whole DHF thing, we we had crossed paths. Yeah. So let me introduce you. This is Dr. Doug Harvey. We'll, we'll pay due respect to you this morning. That'll be the last time that term will get thrown out. <laughs> uh, Doug has pastored in Illinois, in Texas, for about a 15-year period. He was the executive director of the uh, of Disciple Heritage Fellowship, went back into the pastorate, and is serving at Harvest Church in Iowa. And uh, we are, I'm just thrilled to have, have Doug with us today. Doug has been a role player in my life. There have been seasons where um, I needed a pastor and Doug was elected. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we have a real, we have a real history with each other. So Doug, welcome to you this morning. Thanks. It's great to be here. Yeah. You have something that Scott and I do not have, mm-hmm. and that is you were in on DHF at the very beginning. You were there in 1985 when this whole thing got started. <laughs> yes. Why don't you take a minute and tell us a little bit about your spiritual journey that got you to that point in 1985 when you and a couple of the guys came together and started this whole thing? Okay. Well, without getting too deep into the weeds there, I, I grew up being sent to a disciple church uh, with no idea what that meant. But mm. I, that church and some of the lay leaders there uh, really put me deep into the evangelical side of the faith. Uh, even though it was a disciple church, they hadn't got the they hadn't got the message that we were supposed to be liberals, and uh, <laughs> and, and I felt led of God to go to a disciple related Bible college, uh, Northwest Christian in Eugene, Oregon, that was actually pretty conservative, but then went to a disciple seminary, but I maintained that evangelical core all through it. Uh, then went into ministry and uh, sadly made the mistake of going to my first general assembly in 1977. (laughs) Mm. uh, If you've been to a disciple general assembly, I don't need to say much more, except back in those days, uh, I believe at that assembly, we had close to 40 resolutions that the assembly voted on, virtually all of which were related to political and social issues and really had virtually nothing to do with the Christian mm-hmm. faith. And we're so, I, I later said they were so far on left field, Ted Kennedy would have blushed, but it, <laughs> he was kind of the liberal lion of the Senate. But um, 
so it was out of that that the three of the the three of us that eventually started Disciple Renewal, Disciple Heritage, got together and said, somebody's got to do something about this. If you listen to our General Assembly, you would assume that everybody here is a raving Democrat liberal, and nobody seems to be representing an evangelical, apolitical, or more apolitical stance. And after a meeting of some conservative folks uh, with an organization that was really a little too far out for most of us even, uh, we got to talking and said, we, we need some way of communicating. We all think we're the last Bible-believing uh, person in the Disciples of Christ, and we really aren't. How do we communicate? And it was out of that we started the magazine. And then we discovered if we wanted to have a voice in the denomination, the only path that was open to us for raising our concerns was the General Assembly process, which was, by its nature, a political process. But when that's the only way you can have a voice, that's where you have your voice. So we started, as well as publishing and trying to encourage evangelical disciples uh, to uh, hang in there with their evangelical faith. And we also encouraged them to hang in with the disciples if they possibly could, because a lot of them were kind of on the edge of maybe we're just out of here. We said, no, if we all leave, uh, we, you know, we turn the, the, the asylum over to the lunatics. Let's, uh, let, let's stay and have a voice uh, realizing we're not going to win every battle and that's okay, but let's, Let's keep that witness alive as long as we possibly can. And so, Doug, Doug you yeah. keep saying we. Well, the, the three of us that kicked things off, uh, it was me, Richard Bowman, and Kevin Ray. Uh, we sat up till one or two in the morning in a meeting room at a hotel in Des Moines, Iowa, during the General Assembly that year, uh, 1985, it would have been. Yeah, yeah that was 85. And, and really put together the core plan of what we eventually did for the for the first several years. And uh, Linda, Kevin's wife, Linda, was deeply involved as well. She didn't, she went to bed, she had enough sense to go to bed and not come to that meeting in the middle of the night. But, uh, but we, we and then our churches kind of made the core of pulling this together. And at that point, I had recently moved to Texas Kevin and Richard were still in Illinois, where we had all been friends, and they wound up doing the heavy lifting, and I had to go back to Texas and write articles and, you know, things like that while they did the hard work of putting out a publication and all the work with that. So, yeah, that's we. I just, I just thought we needed, you know, for our listeners. No, to that, that, that's good. That's good, because, yeah, we're, again, we're. When the three of us show up at meetings these days, most people don't even know who we are. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's ancient history, uh, another world. You know, Scott, I don't know just how long you've been with DHF, but not that long. And all of yeah. this, I'm sure, is way out of your uh, your memory, your life. And that that's how, th and mm. honestly, that's how things need to be. It's uncomfortable when you're the dinosaur that wants to say, remember when? Uh. <laughs> Scott, were you even born in '85? <laughs> <laughs> All churches. Are I, I was. I was five years old in 1985. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it hurts, doesn't it, Doug? <laughs> no, but it's good. I love going to DHF meetings now and seeing the number of young guys coming up that don't have a clue where we came from, how we got there, and who we, the founders, are. Uh, that, that's how it needs to be. Uh, I, I love it when I pastor to church and go back to visit, and half the people don't know who I am. And, mm-hmm. Uh, that's a healthy church. Uh, yeah, amen. So, yeah. Now, Doug, you and I were talking off air the other day, um, and one of the one of the scripture passages that um, has fed into why we wanted to interview to, you to begin with, and I think it's one of the saddest verses in the in, in the Bible. It's Judges two ten, and it simply says an entire generation grew up in Israel that did not know God or did not know what He had done for His people. Hmm. Hmm. It, it's sad when you think of, you know, even contextually, you know, they, they, they've come off, Moses is gone, Joshua has led them. So they're not that far removed from some critical events that happened, and yet the stories didn't get told. So they didn't know God, and they didn't know what he had done. Well, and yeah. that's one of the reasons why we wanted to interview you first, to keep that sense of, this is our story, and we need to mm. keep the story alive. What were... What were some of the driving issues? What were what were the some of the key political, not political, theological points that really called you guys into existence at that point? Well, no, that's a really good question. And of course, the underlying issue that you never really get to, because that's pretty hard to put in a general assembly resolution, but the underlying issue is biblical authority. Uh, in the Disciples of Christ denomination, biblical authority has been quietly undermined. Uh, I went to Lexington Seminary uh, in 1917. The only heresy trial in the whole history of the disciples took place there uh, with a professor who was starting to uh, teach more of the German higher criticism. And uh, he won his case. And the the more liberal look, I, I hate that word, look, I don't, the, 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 critis, the critical uh, view of the Bible began to dominate our schools, and more and more scholars went off to Germany or to the University of Chicago that was that were focusing on those things, and more and more our seminaries were taken over by people who had a low view of Scripture, uh, and uh, it, it grew from there. Then you train the next generation of pastors with a low view of Scripture, uh, you know, it, it begins to cascade. Hang on to that thought for just a second, but maybe you need to define what you mean by a low view of Scripture. Yeah. Well, the idea that, hmm. that the Bible is not the inspired Word of God, but it's a human document that may record people's experiences of God, but in a very human and flawed way, and that to really understand the Bible, uh, we have to discard parts of it that just uh, don't make sense in the modern world and all that, uh, uh, and and really interpret it in a view of 20th century Western culture. And that 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 was a huge project. You don't want to get into the again the, the theological weeds on that with Bultmann and the demythologizing project and all that. <laughs> But that was the underlying issue. The big issue that really came to a head first was homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Again, if, if, if you have, if you believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, that's a pretty simple issue. 
to sort out. Uh, homosexual practice by nature is sinful, as are many other things. But that was, at that point, the push was on to bless, to affirm uh, homosexuality as as something good, something acceptable in pastoral leadership and all. And we began to challenge that. And then this one was not obvious at that first gathering uh, at the General Assembly in 85, but we quickly surfaced a third issue, and that was universal salvation. Uh, mm. you, you may remember the story, Rick, but uh, uh, Richard Bowman went to a meeting at the Division of Overseas Ministries, and a guy who was a, a missionary by the Division of Overseas Ministries, talked about how he was in Japan studying Zen Buddhism, which, again, if you're going to understand the local culture, you need to sure. study sure. But then he said to the, to the official overseas ministry team of the, of the denomination, we've got to get past this idea that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. And the team applauded him for that line. And so we started raising that issue, and, the, and the, the trouble was the national and regional leadership of the denomination was pretty well in lockstep in wanting to slowly introduce uh, LG, well, at that point it was simply gay ordination, but LGBTQ plus and all that, and were pretty universal in their understanding of Jesus as a way of salvation, but they didn't mm -hmm. want the churches to know. They didn't want the people in the church to know, so there was this huge conspiracy, and it wasn't a purposeful one for the most part, but there was a conspiracy mm -hmm. of silence. If we don't talk about these issues, then we don't have to fight over them. Then the money for the denomination won't dry up. Churches won't leave. So we simply say those issues are off the table for discussion. Mm -hmm. uh, and when we tried to bring them up, in fact, and as I said, the only way we had to bring them up was the resolution process. They created a whole new approaches to the resolution process to keep us and our concerns off the floor. Uh, mm -hmm. They went through several iterations of saying, yeah, these are too controversial. You know, we can declare who's right and wrong in the J.P. Stevens labor disputes with no qualifications. But but this thing about Jesus being the only Savior, we can't we, we can't have an open discussion of that. And uh, so uh, and slowly we got pushed to the margins uh, and taken out of that one place where we could raise a voice in the denomination. And then, of course. The fellowship itself grew out of that experience over a few years. The frustration level in the churches and pastors that were more evangelical, more biblical-centered, the, the frustration grew as we realized we were never going to have a voice, and we were not going to be allowed to use the very machinery of the denomination that was set up to give uh, the the political social action people access to the denomination, mm -hmm. and so more and more churches were leaving the disciples. Yeah. And what we what we saw there was most churches that left the disciples because of several issues really weren't comfortable going into the independent Christian church movement. 
and they didn't really have anywhere else to go, and so they became free-floating, standalone congregations. And our observation was those churches did fine till their first pastoral transition. Mm. Then they had to decide who they were rather than who they weren't. And often that led to some really ugly splits as different factions tried to say, well, this is our big opportunity to finally make this church into what I always wanted it to be. And without any outside identity, uh, they tended to fragment, split again and all that. So we formed the fellowship to help churches stay in touch, not as a denomination, but as a uh, just a fellowship of churches with relational connections. And uh, I, I really, Rick, you did a, you've done an incredible job of helping build those relational connections. I don't think uh, during my leadership days, I really understood how to build those connections. I did what I could. Mm -hmm. I, you know, spent mm -hmm. a third of the year on the road visiting churches and pastors, yeah. and that's good. But what you're doing with the pastor groups, particularly, Rick, is, is an answer that we were floundering for uh, for those years. Uh, mm -hmm. Good job. Good job. Well, thank you. That was an unexpected kudo, but I do appreciate that. <laughs> Scott, go ahead. It's funny. It's kind of a twofold isolation, one from the General Assembly, one the churches then feel isolated because they're not in the loop. They're mm -hmm. not going to provide feedback. And then, so there's a lot of kind of this intermediary time where you're connected, disconnected. Uh, Disciple Renewal preceded DHF. How did churches in Disciple Renewal uh, Fellowship in that first decade or two decades. Now we rely so much on Zoom, yeah. social media, even newsletters. How did that look in the first decade or two? Oh, that, that's a really good question. Uh, we struggled with that because we didn't have the kind of things we do now media-wise. We mm -hmm. primarily, through the publications, uh, we, we did Disciple Renewal for many years, and it went to anybody who asked for it uh, without a charge and went to all disciple churches as well. And that kept a dialogue going. But beyond that, it was almost all through uh, the DHF office, uh, whether the Kevin was our first executive director, then Richard came on and they did it together a while. And Richard was alone and then I came on. But it was through, and largely that came either through the phone, but even more through the visits. Uh, uh, I drove all over the country just to stop in, see sometimes three, four people a day, you know, going across Kansas or Texas or Oklahoma, just connecting and making that face-to-face. -face. Mm. The, the thing that didn't do well for us, yeah. it didn't connect us with the churches so much as the pastors. And when the church has changed pastors, their relationship with disciple heritage often came or went on whether that pastor had a background to DHF and wanted mm -hmm. to keep it or not. And uh, another thing that really hurt those mm -hmm. churches was the myth of the non-denominational church. Uh, it, especially 30 years ago, a lot of churches were very proud to carry the non-denominational label, which uh, is, is a good label. Uh, we, we use it too uh, here at Harvest, so I'm not. But 
if you look at most non-denominational churches, they're still part of some kind of formal or informal fellowship. It, it uh, they may they don't call it a denomination, and sometimes it's very informal. It's just all the guys who went to a particular Bible college that live in that area and still connect through the college roots. That, that but there's very few true free floating churches. And a lot of people that left the disciples didn't understand that and thought it was a healthy thing to be non-denominational because a lot of the thriving evangelical churches they knew used that terminology. Uh, and there were more of them back there that were truly disconnected. But over the last 30 years, more and more evangelicals have come to understand we need connection. We probably don't need a bureaucracy. We probably don't need 16 committees and all of that, but we need connection. And uh, formally or informally, that, that's critical to all our churches. Uh, yeah, so yeah, largely through the publication, the national conference was good for those who came, but those never caught on in a big way. You know, you... Mm -hmm. What do we usually have 60 to 100 people? And there were a lot of them were regulars. And there was a deep sense of camaraderie among those folks. But that didn't spread very well. Um, and, yeah, we tried doing regional conferences. That that flopped. I know. We had a lot of grand schemes. Uh, and some of them worked, some of them didn't. One of those things. Sure. But anyway, your question, yeah. largely through publication yeah. and just the, 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 uh, top-level team traveling. So many ways, Doug. My job today is so much easier. Mm -hmm. you know, I, was, I, was, I was chatting yesterday with a pastor in uh, Spokane, Washington. Mm. Okay. My I've, never met him. <laughs> I've never met him, but we've had you know, tremendous conversations. We can zoom in with each other, all those kinds of, you know, using, using the technologies of the day. So I don't have to get in a car and drive, yeah. <laughs> yeah. drive halfway across the country to see one guy or, or to meet with one church. Yeah, yeah. I, I get zoomed into search team meetings, uh, consultation oh, kind wow. of stuff. It is, yeah. it is oh, so much great. easier today. Yeah, that really would be. And the, the, the Zoom, the picture makes such a difference in the sense of actually connecting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's great, Rick. That's encouraging to hear because, yeah, I put on a lot of miles. And in terms of efficiency, mm. you know, yeah, that's what we had, so it's what we did. Hey, Scott, as the as, as the, the more mm -hmm. junior member of, of the three of us online right now, as we've already established, you were five when, 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 <laughs> when all this was kicking off. How much of the early, how much of what Doug has shared is, is, is new to you? I would say over the last year and a half, I've heard most of those stories, but that's only with being connected in conversations with the board at DHF. And so I think as I rub shoulders with Doug or Wayne or you, I enjoy hearing that history because it plugs into the overarching history I've read about or understood. Okay. And so it really helps to fill in the texture and details that I'm not aware of. Again, that's the judges too to to know what God has done, you know, to know God and what He has done. It's it's hearing, it's keeping the stories alive. Um, yeah. yeah. Which, which even culturally, the way history is now taught in schools, they're, they're not learning the stories. 
Yeah, um, but that's 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 a that's a whole different road. So we're not going to go down. No, there. <laughs> <laughs> um, Doug, through, through your eyes, as, as one who has watched the church now for years, how different are the issues now than what you were facing back in the eighties? Yeah. Or are they the same? Are, are we still wrestling with biblical authority, the particularity of Christ? They're, yeah, they're very much so. Those those two issues, the the LGBTQ plus issue, uh, is also is still is still a live one. But in the culture, the war's over. They won. Period. Uh, and in the church, trying to maintain a culture of faithfulness to those things, but that is still critical. But it's different than fighting a denomination. It's now a congregation-by-congregation congregation set of issues. How do we live in a culture that, that has come to assume that your sexual desires are your identity and that you have to fulfill mm -hmm. any sexual desire you've ever felt has to express itself genitally? Uh, it, 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 it's just... It's the same issue, but a very different uh, thing, congregationally rather than denominationally. Biblical authority, that, that's the big dividing issue right now uh, in, in God's church across the country. Yeah. And evangelicals disagree on a lot of the yeah. finer points, but we still have a core Christian faith that's biblically rooted that gives us uh, a standard and, and a place of appeal when we want to say, I, I, you know, I agree or I disagree, that our culture and even a lot of the church now does not have. Uh, really, in, if I can use the terminology again, the more liberal or progressive denominations have no core authority. It's just whatever is popular in the popular culture that's their thing. Uh, you know, recycle plastics. Okay, yeah, that, that's their issue today. Tomorrow it's border security, and, or not security, border, letting everybody across the border because that's only a fair and right. Why? Well, because it feels good. I don't really know why. And down the, mm. down the list, uh, biblical authority mm. is the dividing line. It was then, it is now. Uh, uh, unfortunately, it's a battle that, again, evangelicalism is not prevailing right now, and I fear some of our political connections are going to devastate us in the next few years if we don't get out of Republican politics and back to the faith, uh, and that that's really hard, and I and I say that as yeah. somebody very political and. Uh, I had hoped in my retirement to get more political, and now I frankly despair of being able to be a faithful Christian in any political party because they've all sold out to yeah. unbiblical uh, mm. foundations, and uh, mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to waste my time on that. Mm. Um, it's just sad. Anyway, I didn't mean to get off on mm. that. <laughs> that. That's your free sermon for the day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, was, it was interesting. Yeah. Last, last fall, um, I, I got a phone call from a seminarian, um, and she was studying at uh, Phillips. Mm -hmm. okay. And she had made a, a statement uh, when she 
called that she had been told by her prof that the reason that DR, DHF came into being was so that we could fight the homosexual agenda. Mm. And mm-hmm. I said, well, that's, that's interesting. I was there and that wasn't the reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. No. She, she no. seemed quite stunned. Mm. You know, when I, and I tried to explain mm. to her that the, the core reason was biblical authority. When you settle that, then mm. all the other issues fall, mm-hmm. fall in line. Yeah, yeah. And, and she had never mm-hmm. heard that line of reasoning before. This was a sharp gal. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, it's interesting. It, we obviously are on different sides of the spectrum, but we've stayed in contact with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're still in uh, correspondence with mm-hmm. each other. But was just absolutely intrigued that from her professorial standpoint, we were anti. I love the way our culture uses words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. From our standpoint, when we came in, it's because we were pro the authority of the word, not because we were anti LGBTQI plus. You know, yeah. the, 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 they, there weren't that many letters back then. Yeah, yeah, we, we had to increase the alphabet. It's like, yeah. But it, it's, it, it's interesting the way culture uses language and media mm. uses language against us. Yeah. You know, even yeah, the yeah. choice, anti abortion. You know, th- yeah, those yeah, kinds yeah. of terminologies. Yeah. Um, so I, I appreciate the reminder, Doug, of being able to come back to say the, the, the root issue, and we have to settle that one, is do we have an authoritative, inspired, infallible word of God, or do we not? Mm-hmm. If yeah. the answer is yes, then that's your presupposition, and you go from there. If the answer is no, then where do you go? Yeah, well, in Christianity becomes whatever you choose to make it. It, it amazes me when I, I hear some of the more progressive people trying to parse the New Testament and say, you know, the Jesus I know would have never said that. The only Jesus you can possibly know is the Jesus of the Gospels. There is no contemporaneous source beyond that. You're defining him by your cutting and pasting what you want him to be instead mm-hmm. of what he really says. I, you know, it, Oh, don't give me. I'm about to launch off on the Jesus uh, seminar. <laughs> yeah, but we're going to go there. Yeah. Honestly, I don't even know what time we started. I don't know how long we've been going. I just love this, Doug. It is so great. <laughs> no, you know, I hate to talk about these things. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's run just about to time. I appreciate the time with Doug to talk about um, where the history is because it helps us to get a better picture of where we're headed, whether we're doing that on purpose or whether we're accidentally trending in a direction, we should always mm-hmm. know the trim to our sails so that we can sail on a solid course. And uh, I always love the clarifications uh, with people that were on the scene and get a clear understanding of, of where we are. And we, we kind of stopped at uh, the formation of DHF. Let me quickly say, Around 2000, we finally faced the fact that we were going to be more and more marginalized in the disciples. And for, they, they, they began to refuse us access uh, because we were seen as a competing organization. And mm. part of me sees what they were getting at. Uh, we felt forced to do it because we wanted to work with the churches that had left. But uh, there became a split there, and we, we don't engage the denomination now. We need to be clear about that. Because mm. once in a while I've run into somebody who's still afraid of us that we'll, we'll drag them into another fight with the DOC and all of that. And uh, mm. I think we fulfilled God's call to speak 
what I consider a prophetic word to the denomination. Mm. And the denomination made its choices, and we've tried to pick up a, a lot of the debris they left behind mm. uh, in, in the damage they did to a lot of churches with their mm. uh, anyway. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's a good a, a good corrective, and maybe that's a good way to uh, to move us to to closure on, on on at least this part of the discussion. Because it was it yeah. was in '97, the board was meeting in in St. Louis on the campus of St. Louis Christian College in 1997, mm-hmm. when we made the decision at that point to say disciple renewal has run its course, and now we need to be the Disciple Heritage Fellowship. Mm-hmm. The, the interesting thing, Doug is that I still hear almost weekly from churches that are still under the disciples umbrella who will say, we didn't even know you guys were out there. We've never heard of you guys. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the interesting part. But then I also get emails periodically that are forwarded to me from the quote college of regional ministers that think we're the greatest threat on the face of the earth. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So somewhere in in between, Doug, Scott, can I ask one more question? Just yeah, oh yeah. One, what would you say, Doug, if 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 a church called you today and said, "Why should we become a part of DHF?" Mm, What would you tell? Really really good question. I, I think more than anything, God created the church as a relational entity not mm-hmm. as an organization. And on the local level, we're at our best and healthiest as a relational entity, not a structure organization. Oh, you need some structure uh, you know, to hold things together. Uh, and it doesn't stop at the walls of the local church. We need relationship beyond the local church, but we need relationship that builds us up, that speaks mm the language we speak. And frankly, most evangelical churches and pastors in the denomination don't have that kind of relationship where they can speak to somebody who understands their foundation of thinking. Uh, It it kind of just becomes a discussion of opinions and thoughts rather than the shared, uh, you know, any of the three of us, the two or three of us can sit down and start talking because we have that shared biblical authority underpinning we can we can share at a level that we never can with a person who's not a believer or someone who's so far off the track that we're on that that you have to keep uh defining your terms and saying no 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 that's not what i you know all that uh and churches need that sense of connection as well as uh individuals within a congregation the church i pastor joined dhf and they're not they're not disciple related at all they're uh american baptists turned to swedish baptists kind of uh and wound up getting out of that out of a really bad experience uh mm-hmm. but they knew they needed to connect they knew they wouldn't float alone well and now they're part of dhf and that's we don't talk about it all the time, but they know there's a resource to go to uh, when problems come up. To say, hey, do we need to call Rick? Uh, right. there, there's there's a place to go, and yeah. uh, Rick, you and Michael Tenike and Wayne Kent have all been here at one time or another, and helped to get a sense of the bigger church where it's not just us. Uh, that that's always a right. danger, the insularity and. Uh, 
uh, becoming her own little uh, group to the exclusion of everybody else. And none of us need that. Uh, mm. Yeah, that's <laughs> good, Doug. Thank yeah. you. Couldn't have said that better myself, brother. Yeah, I might steal that. Yeah. <laughs> I might steal that lock, stock, and barrel. <laughs> you do that. Uh, no copyrights. Well, thank you so much, Doug, for coming on our uh, <laughs> our very first uh, podcast of the uh, DHF podcast, and we look forward to having you back on sometime, maybe deliberating a little bit more. Okay, that'd be great. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, and all everybody watching. I think that's it. I'm glad for you to get a little more background how we got yeah. where we are. It doesn't define where we're going, but it helps put a context. Hey, amen. Right. Amen, brother. <laughs>